Welcome to Episode 2 of Season 3 of the Roots of American Music Podcast. My name is Clint Holly, and I'll be your host today. Presented in conjunction with the Knight Foundation, the GAR Foundation, and Roots of American Music, this season is called the Akron Heritage Music Project, where we explore the diverse history of Akron, Ohio, through music and stories. In today's episode, which I call the Howard Street Shuffle, we explore the rich history of jazz music in Akron, Ohio, and how this art form was one of the first to start breaking down racial barriers in America. We have two great guests lined up. The first is Joe Mossbrook, a journalist and historian whose rich knowledge of jazz history lends the backbone to our story. Our second guest today is an immensely talented young man named Theron Brown, who's a jazz performer, he's a teacher, and he's the founder of the Rubber City Jazz and Blues Festival, which represents a great complement to the stories that Joe tells us earlier in the podcast. Theron reaches out to the future and tells us what is on the horizon for jazz music in Akron, Ohio. Also included in this podcast is music from the Tommy Lehman Quintet, which Theron Brown is a member of. They were originally scheduled to do a live public performance as part of this grant, but COVID destroyed all of that. And we retooled and started streaming all of our performances from the Akron Recording Company. So the music that you hear today is archived on the Roots of American Music Facebook page. If you would like to see the complete performance, an hour of great jazz music, please visit the Facebook page of Roots of American Music and look for the video of the Tommy Lehman Quintet. You won't be disappointed. So let's set the stage. Let's go back in time and let's start talking to Joe Mossbrook about the history of jazz music in Akron, Ohio. My name is Joe Mossbrook. Uh, I'm a retired news reporter uh, for NBC News. And for more than 30 years now, I've been doing a... uh, weekly radio feature for the NPR station in Cleveland, WCPN, on Cleveland jazz history, trying to connect the various aspects of jazz in Cleveland with jazz history generally. And uh, this has been going on for more than 30 years. And a few years back, uh, some of the information from these radio series uh, ended up in, in a book I wrote on Cleveland jazz history, which is available on the internet in its entirety, although the uh, book itself is out of print now. It was published by the Northeast Ohio Jazz Society. Let's start around 1940. What's the state of jazz music, and then what's happening in a city like Akron, Ohio, in that time period? Well, can we go back even farther? Absolutely. Yes. The history, you can take it back to the 20s, actually. Okay, let's do that then. I mean, uh, people like Fletcher Henderson, who probably, more than anybody, invented the uh, big band style of jazz, was playing in Akron in 1921. Wow. And any number of big bands came through Akron, uh, playing at places like Summit Beach Park, East Market Gardens, the uh, Akron Armory. In 1943, Duke Ellington played at the Akron Armory. And a singer with his band at that time was a gal named Dolores Parker. And uh, she was singing with a band, and she later settled in Akron, in Fairlawn, actually. Okay. She married uh, Gates Morgan, a doctor, and she uh, lived there for years, and she also continued singing until, oh, maybe 20 years ago. 
when did Akron, in your opinion, see the peak of its jazz uh, prominence prior to World War II, during World War II, after World War II? And what changes in the jazz world uh, maybe prompted, uh, you know, movement in other directions? North Howard Street was popular mainly in the late 40s through the 50s and early 60s. Okay. And uh, the uh, jazz clubs there, for the most part, were not programming uh, national names, but local names. You mentioned some earlier, uh, Jimmy Knoll, the saxophonist, Punchy Atkinson, who incidentally later played with Pest Montgomery and Freddie Hubbard. Wow, okay. Newman Williams, a bass player who was very popular, he came to Cleveland quite a bit. Wee Carter, Clifford Johnson was one. They were not also, getting back to the uh, racial things, they were not all black musicians. Uh, one of the musicians on Howard Street was Roland Pellucci. Yes, yes, right. Who uh, later headed the uh, jazz program at the University of Akron, a piano player, and he also later led the Cleveland Jazz Orchestra. Oh, wow, okay. Uh, he tells stories about uh, his friend, Newman Williams, got him to come over and play piano at uh, some of the uh, clubs along Howard Street. Was there a move away from dancing and more to presentation in jazz at that time period, or did they stay mostly clubs where people went for uh, you know dancing and entertainment? Yeah, I don't think these little clubs along Howard Street, uh, I was not there, but I don't think they were for dancing. Uh, you, you know, you went to the Armory or Land Lakes or East Market Gardens to go dancing. Right. These were small clubs where people went and drank and listened to jazz. I mean, some of these, uh, oh, for, you know, over 20 years, uh, there were usually seven or eight or nine clubs operating along Howard Street. I mean, some went and some came in it, it, it varied at times like jazz clubs do but hey, places like Benny Rivers which somebody called the Jazz Palace of Akron the Hi-Hat the Cosmopolitan the Green Turtle the Tropicana the Rhythm Bar the Silver Leaf the Pacific Club these were all operating right there in that one little area of Howard Street wow and musicians uh, were playing there every night almost every night, and they are attracting integrated crowds from around the area, even though it was essentially an African-American area. Now, people that were going out to see jazz at that time, would you say that it was a, a working-class crowd? Was it uh, you know, a college-educated crowd? At that time period, what's the demographics of people that are listening to jazz and going to see these kind of performances? Well, I don't have any data on that. I don't know if anybody ever collected it, but I've heard stories that they attracted a lot of college-age kids. Right, okay. They were interested in it. Uh, and a lot of older people who remembered the jazz and wanted to stay with it. Right. Uh, I don't know how you can really pinpoint what the crowds were, but uh, they did. Oh, many of the musicians remember a lot of college-age white kids going to hear these uh, jazz groups at the clubs. That's very interesting. Then how do you think that that kind of ties into, you know, you've talked about how 
you know, jazz is one of the first things in our culture that's that's integrated. You have these college kids going to see these uh, performances. Then how do you think that that helps in the 1960s feed into something like the civil rights movement? Like, is it perceived as something? Does it get the credit that it deserves in terms of breaking down those barriers that you've already spoken to? Well, I, I think it's pretty obvious that it did. You know, it's certainly not enough, but uh, there were an awful lot of uh, white kids some of the first, first uh, black people they became aware of or got to know were musicians. Right. And they got to know them because they appreciated their art. Right. That suddenly here is some common ground in which they can come together and appreciate uh, each other. And when you speak about college, was was jazz something that was actively taught in college curriculums at that time? Or when when did jazz become more... Uh, uh, of an academic thing um, in in schools? I think that's a fairly recent thing. I mean, fairly recent, uh, 20 or 30 years or okay. so. Okay. Uh, that most of these musicians who were playing in the 40s and 50s were not college educated. Right. I mean, they, they didn't go to Berkeley. Uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. It was Akron a segregated city. I've read that a place like the Matthews Hotel was like the only place they would accept traveling African-American musicians. What's kind of your take on that? Well, obviously the migration was prompted by jobs in the North, uh, jobs in Akron, just like uh, jobs in Cleveland, and it prompted this big migration. And Akron, like Cleveland, was heavily segregated during this period, uh, up you know, through the 40s and 50s. The people turned out of whatever race to hear good music. I mean, you can go back to uh, old Benny Goodman in the 30s when he had Lionel Hampton and Teddy Wilson playing with his trio. This was a full decade before Jackie Robinson played Major League Baseball. Right. I I have this theory that uh, jazz began breaking down racial lines long before almost any other aspect of our society. Let's talk a little bit about uh, the decline of the Akron area and urban renewal. When did that start? Uh, in the 60s, mainly. Uh, they pretty much leveled Howard Street. I mean, as I say, the only thing left there is the old uh, Ritz Theater building. Right. Which has been some kind of nightclub for years, apparently. All right, all of that that you listed, I think, is part of it. A big thing, there were any number of fairly small jazz clubs, I know in Cleveland and in Akron as well, that would have big-name national artists come through and play for a week for a couple hundred dollars. Okay. I mean, you would get to people like... Uh, Earl Garner or Dizzy Gillespie, they'd be at some little club playing for a few hundred bucks a week. But then in the 60s, uh, some of these artists discovered that they could play at a much bigger venue and get much, much more money. And these little clubs that presented the national names just quickly faded out. Okay. You don't get that anymore. I mean, today, when you get a big name, he's going to be playing at E.J. Thomas. He's not going to be playing at Sammy's Bar down in the corner. (laughs) Right. There's a uh, monument down there uh, dedicated to the uh, Matthews 
hotel and Howard Street in general. Um, can you were you involved with that at all? And can you tell me a little bit about how that came about and and what the driving force behind that was? Yeah, maybe we ought to go back uh, a little bit. Sure. Uh, and explain what the Matthews Hotel was. Sure. That essentially this was the Black Hotel of Akron. It opened in 1925 by a guy named George Matthews, who had come north from the south with the migration, and he opened a hotel there along Howard Street near the railroad tracks. A hotel with 55 guest rooms, and this hotel lasted until 1978. Wow. And as you mentioned, uh, all the touring big-name black musicians stayed at the Matthews Hotel. People like Duke Ellington, Cam Calloway, Louis Armstrong, Count Basie, Ella Fitzgerald, Lionel Hampton, Dizzy Gillespie, they all stayed at George Matthews Hotel, which was just a few doors away from uh, the string of nightclubs. And very often these national touring musicians who were playing at the time at places like the Palace Theater, the Akron Armory, the East Market Gardens, or Summit Beach Park, they would sometimes go over to the Howard Street Jazz Clubs and sometimes sit in with the local musicians. Right. Now, this was a, Matthews Hotel was big, uh, but it was torn down in the 60s uh, in the name of urban renewal. And there's not much left there except for the uh, former Woods Theater building, which is nearby. And there was, in 2001, an historic marker was set up marking the uh, uh, Matthews Hotel. And then in 2011, a monument that was designed and created by Miller Horns, an Akron artist, right. was established and set up. Now, what was Miller's connection to uh, the Akron art scenes or jazz scene? Well, he obviously was a big jazz fan, and he was also a very uh, respected artist in a number of areas in Akron. And he, uh, this was a project that he worked on for years. He thought something should be done to remember the old Matthews Hotel. That, uh, and he designed this thing and. Uh, went out and raised money to build it. And this was a major part of his life for, for well, maybe a decade. And you said that came to fruition in the uh, early 2010s then? It was, uh, I think it was a record in 2011. Okay. But there's no question that Akron has a long and rich history in jazz. Right. And after a down period is coming back, with you know, places like Blue Jazz Plus and the Rubber City Jazz and Blues Festival. And and I think uh, honoring that long history, there is a comeback in Akron now. This is a tune I wrote for House I Moved Out in June uh, in, the, in Highland Square. If you're familiar with that neighborhood, you'll know these roads. This is called Belvedere and Payne. Thank you. 
You are listening to the sounds of the Tommy Lehman Quintet, recorded live at the Akron Recording Company and live-streamed via the Roots of American Music Facebook page. I encourage anybody listening to this to go to the Rome Facebook page, give us a like, and find this performance and watch the entire thing. It's great, great quality music. If you like the page, you'll also be notified when we go live on the rest of these Akron Heritage Music Project performances, and you can watch from the safety of your own house. Let's move to the present and the future now. I sat down with Theron Brown before he performed with the Tommy Lehman Quintet and talked to him for quite a while about uh, jazz, the process of jazz, uh, his place in Akron jazz, and what the future looks like for Akron and jazz. And it's all very exciting. Theron's a a talented guy, and uh, we had a great time talking to each other. So let's uh, learn a lot more about Theron Brown right now. My name is Theron Brown. And I first moved up here in about 2005 for school at the University of Akron Okay. Uh, to get into jazz music. Um, initially, I just wanted to get better at gospel music because that's right. kind of my roots. Um, so, yeah, once I got the bug, um, I kind of set up camp here and wanted to – I saw the legacy and the history and wanted to be a part of that. Okay. And you're involved with um, academics in Akron? Are yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. I, I work with uh, Open Tone Music, okay. which they provide uh, educational services and music uh, portion for you know, underserved communities. So we have a, a lot of students actually from this area, Cleveland, and even out of the country like Trinidad and right. due to pandemic stuff going right, on Right, now. now everything's online. Yeah, like your yeah. classroom is a computer now. Right. I also teach at uh, Kent State University. Oh, okay. Yeah. And do you teach jazz? Yes. Okay. Yep. What kind of, what do you, what's your curriculum that you teach? Uh, fundamentals of jazz piano, uh, theory one and two. Okay. Uh, and uh, I run combos and teach private lessons. Okay. Yeah. All right. So take mm-hmm. us back. Well, how did you, what was your influences and what led you to jazz piano? Yeah. So I grew up playing, uh, you know, a lot of or- B3 organ and uh, piano at my dad's church. He's a pastor. So I always grown up being around that sound and the music and we had a piano at the house right so it's kind of just in the culture that way and you said you're a transplant to akron so where are you from originally oh yeah that's important zanesville ohio zanesville yeah right okay (laughs) not exactly a jazz hotbed and uh, i've found that there's a pottery museum in in uh, zanesville in the public library i think me and my wife have been there that's about it the wide bridge and then after that you've seen it all <laughs> Isn't Zane Gray the author from Zanesville too? Yeah, I think uh, the yeah. Western author. That's okay. right. So, how old were you? Uh, so, you came up here for college then. So, you're yeah. out of high school. You're looking to do what you're going to do for the rest of your life. And you you moved to Akron. Right, right. Okay. And at first, I was playing viola okay. through high school, and you know, I I just gravitated towards piano. I think I, I had a scholarship and stuff uh, to go to Ohio State. Okay, for viola, but it just didn't you know resonate. Right. Uh, so I went. Uh, I had a teacher that came to my high school for a master class or something. And he, I would always play before rehearsal, warming up and stuff. Right. And, you know, gospel and jazz, it all comes from the same pot, blues. Right. It's just feel-good music. Right. And he would hear, and he's like, man, have you ever, you ever checked out jazz? I'm like, not really, you know, it's... Uh, the devil's music. <laughs> the only thing I listened to was gospel at the time, right? And okay. Classical, whatever. Um, but the next day, he brought he brought me a book and a CD of Thelonious Monk. Okay, and the book had 
all of his tunes in it. And uh, the album was one of the essential albums. Right. So it had a lot of variety on it. And I was hooked. Yeah. You know, I heard what, you know, the rhythm and the harmony. Had no clue what was going on. Still don't know what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, Monk's the man. So, uh, but that, that, caught my attention. I was like, I, I got to go to school for jazz because I can use that to, to increase my musicality. Right. Now, you mentioned playing uh, B3 in uh, church also. Mm. Do you listen to any of the, the classic uh, you know, organ jazz guys? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, love Jimmy, of course. Um, but one, one who I actually get to talk to frequently now, who we've had to the Jazz Fest, one of right. my favorite B3 players is Joey DeFrancesco. Okay. And... Uh, I, it's funny because I met him when I first moved here. That was the first concert I saw in Cleveland. Really? At the Manchester. Okay. And I saw him play. And that, it's just funny that, you know, a few years back, you know, he's coming in to play at our jazz now festival he's here. Now right? Yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> you know, I can cool, yeah. text him. And, yeah, it's a nice little relationship. What do you think it was about Akron from, let's say, 1920 to 1960? Yeah. What's going on in Akron that really fuels this, like, whole thing yeah well there's you know always politics that go into it and right. we look at that era of what was going on all over the country um our culture black culture was starting to uh become a, a kind of like a release right. a safety net not only for black folks but you know they were even mingling with with white folks as well right which was uh, the point of our music and the point of the beauty there. And when you look at Akron, we have this separation with 59 and kind of how the, the areas flip. Um, you know, the Firestone area was very um, probably more progressive, I'll say. Okay. Whereas in here, it may, may have been more uh, party vibe, uh, maybe drugs going around. Let's right. just be real about it. Right. Um, so it wasn't maybe the safest place, right? Um, but that's, you know, when we're looking at the 1920s, that's where the music was. And, uh, I imagine that's kind of how it was here. Now, the special thing as we move on, uh, the music came out of that and was able to live in places like clubs right. where people could pay to listen to the music and, you know, also have a good time, party, drink, eat. Right. Um, so when that happened here, I believe like that's when musicians would would come through as a circuit well let's talk about the, the festival a little bit to give mm-hmm. it give me the history the background on the festival and how that got founded and kind of what its goal is and stuff like that yeah so uh like you all we are part of the knight foundation clan as well nice. grantees uh we won back in 2015 okay i believe and uh it, the idea kind of sprung from a group that i took a trip with uh knight foundation folks and some akron city folks that wanted to explore other Knight Foundation cities to see how they were developing oh, cool. in the arts districts, yes, right. and other uh, functions too. Um, so what I took from that, I, I was like, okay, I'm on this trip. What's my purpose? They didn't really fill me in too much. <laughs> right. I'm guessing I'm like, I'm the only musician here, so maybe right. I should be thinking maybe about the scene and creatively. Right. Uh, so we saw, uh, for me, we went to Pittsburgh and Detroit, and, and those two cities you know, they have big music legacies. Oh, my yeah. God. And getting to meet some of the people there and all, people that I already knew, um, <clears throat> I was like, we have the same 
vibe yeah. in Akron and, and, and just in Northeast Ohio in general. Um, it's just that Midwest swing. I got like to Rust call Belt, it. Yeah. Industrial, <laughs> yeah, thing that it's all in our DNA. That's right? right. So they have these programs for music, and again, my lane is is more the jazz and blues area. So I saw that they had a festival and educational components that went along with it, and that's right. of course what I believe in uh, most, especially for the youth, because that's the only way the legacy and stuff will keep, continue to live. Sure. Um, so yeah, I I thought okay. There's going to start this grant process, and I talked to Kyle Kudachev, and he said, "Yeah, man, just do it. I'm pretty sure you'll you'll win this." And um, man, when, when we did, the city jumped on board. And yeah, we got it started. We we were a bit ambitious. Me looking back now, we should have took a year, and and maybe did it the next year. Right. So we won. We found out in December, and we we're like. Let's do it in August. So yeah, you can oh, yeah. count on your fingers. How? <laughs> wow, how did that go? Oh, it went incredible. Did it? Oh, oh it's good. But me looking back now, I would have like, no, what are you thinking? Like, don't, no, take your <laughs> right. time, you know? Right. Uh, but I was a little younger then, and it, I think it did need to happen, kind of looking back. Right. Uh, now, when you um, are looking at your roster and who you're going to book for the festival, what are some of the criteria that you kind of flip through to, you yeah. know, do you look for legacy artists? Do you look for young artists? I'm sure you look for a, yeah. you know, a combination. Do you, is a certain percent local mm-hmm. and a certain percent from out of town? Tell yeah. us a little more about that process. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. Yeah. Uh, this this festival was to cater to, and still is, to cater to our musicians here. Okay. Um, so it is local, locally influenced. And we even tried to put some of our groups maybe uh, opening up for some of the headliners that we have come in, bigger names. Right. And also some of the bigger names use our players here, which is really cool. Nice. Um, Because we do have some of the best musicians in the world. (laughs) You heard it here. Um, So, yeah, as far as uh, the ratio, we do focus on our folks here in Akron. Mm -hmm. Then we go to Cleveland, our homies over there. And after that, we're all regional. We got people from Columbus and and, and Cincinnati that right. come and attend and just play, Detroit even, Pittsburgh. Cool. In terms of genres um, within kind of the jazz and blues realm, do you try and fill certain spots with, with genres? Because jazz and blues is such a huge yeah, umbrella. big umbrella. Like, what do you look for? And if there's an educational component, do you tie some of those genres to an educational component? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, so I'll start with the, the genre thing. Uh, we try to... Let it be an artful thing. Like you said, jazz and blues is a big umbrella, but it's a foundational right. term, you right. know, that has changed. It changes genera- generations. Sure. So exactly what you're saying, we try to mix it up with our legends here that we like to pay tribute to and definitely give them the platform to show us, you know, to learn from them that way. Right. And then also give our youth to, to explore and send us into the now and to the future. Right. Um, the educational component comes in with Open Tone, which is uh, our executive director, Chris Anderson. Um, we are under the umbrella of them. So the children from that program are able to, and they're all from around the city. Right. But they're able to take, at this point, they would zoom in and, and have a master class with some of these musicians. Okay. Or they would open for them and maybe start out the jazz festival. Right. You know, the kicker. Um, so there's a lot of opportunities uh, to have 
the musicians that come in and play with us even visit schools or sit in with those bands. Right. Um, we've seen them come back and check out schools surrounding. So, cool. Um, maybe now, the clubs that you book, the, uh, is there more than just you know, blue jazz in Akron in terms of jazz clubs. Um, did you have to approach other places and, and kind of get them to buy into this also when you were putting this together? Yeah, yeah, we would. And we try to do different things to help, uh, let's see, like fill the vibe of the venue. Right. So like at the Akron Art Museum, we would have right. Helen Welch and Joe Lehman on right. piano singer and you know duo right and it's just a nice intimate crowd perfect for the acoustics, acoustics in there, right you know so it's, it's still this jazz element but you know helen does pop songs too so she, you're dancing in your seat and having a good time right whereas when you go to the library on their beautiful stage which has a wonderful uh grand piano i put two pianos in there and we do a thing called Piano Palooza, and I get because I play piano. You right, know. right. <laughs> a little I got preferential have, treatment. Yeah, to the come keys on. There. <laughs> let, let me get a little selfish for the festival. Right. <laughs> but I bring in some of my favorite pianists, and we just go at it for a couple hours. Really. And then we also use that stage for uh, like Chris Cole's brought Nine Lives in, which was a very uh, serious piece of music. Uh, it's a four piece, uh, four movement piece. That was in dedication to the Charleston shooting that. Oh, happened. okay. Yeah. Right. So really, really deep. And that went over so well. And that was the right kind of venue and vibe. To for present that. that mm -hmm. Right. You know, two o'clock-ish. Right. It's not so, a bunch of people drinking right, and like <laughs> right, getting right. rowdy. Right. Yeah, man. So that's the program. <laughs> and yeah. And then when we go into the evening at night after all the main shows are done, say 10 o'clock hits. You can go down to Blue and hear Sammy De Leon and his right. orchestra, which is all Latin music. We clear out the floors. Or let people cut it up. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> you go over to Musica, and we got more of a hip-hop vibe, yeah. dance thing going on, or a live band playing. Right. But it's a bunch of youth, youthful folks going in. Nice. You know? Is there an intersection in jazz and hip-hop currently? Like, yeah, absolutely. What's going on? I'm sure there is. Yeah. What's kind of going on in that, in that realm? Yeah, I think... Yeah, I have to say it's always kind of been there, even starting going back to like Q-Tip and, uh, you know, MF Doom just passed, God rest his soul. Um, but I think, yeah, today, even more so, I'm working with an artist now uh, named Peach Curls, who I, I love his music. It's like, I can't even put a label on it, but it has elements of, you know, a right. lot of things. And he'll send me tracks and I lay stuff down on it and it, it might... You know, he's looking for that sound, right. maybe a more jazz type thing, or. Um, and I guess there's always an element of spontaneity to to hip hop too, like mm -hmm. and improvisation. So I mean, like yeah. there is, I, I see a natural kind of you know overlap there mm -hmm. in the rhythm and you know, right. the syncopation stuff, the kind of bouncing around. Right, really reminds me of bebop for real. There you go. You know, right. you got this. Hundred years apart, almost. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, like you said, I mean, it's all about bringing that next generation in and like. Passing, yes. passing it on, you know? Yeah. When did you kind of realize that there's this academic component to it? Yeah, so I just, I, I think I looked at it as a way for me to get better. Right. Now, once I got into it, I saw that it was a tool, but I have to be creative in how I use it and right. how I want to personally enhance my own gift. Um, so yeah, I was able to learn new scales and chords and all that stuff. 
uh, some of the stuff that I already was playing, I put names to it. Right. Um, but yeah, once the music, and <clears throat> this is from kind of hearsay, I, I know a lot of musicians that say jazz is dead. Right. And what they mean by that is like when it was institutionalized, once you start trying to take the magic out of it, like right. Coltrane played Coltrane because he was Coltrane when Coltrane was Coltrane. Right, yeah, <laughs> you know right. what I mean? He represents a moment in time yes. of his personality right. and nobody else's. Right. And that evolved because right. if you listen to him when he was playing with Miles compared to the end of his life, right. ooh, it was like space science. He, he went straight to Jupiter, right. you know? <laughs> right, right. I, and, and that's how... You know, life should be. You ascend and you. Well, you don't ever stop. You don't stop. Like right, because then you're just kind. Then it is dead. Yes, but if you don't stop, you know you got. But think about that. It's the institutionalization. I can get a degree in jazz in four years. Right. And now I can get a master's degree, and then I'm called a master. Right. I get a doctor, and then I'm called a doctor. Right. Um, I can name a ton of musicians who don't have any degrees. Who should be doctors of this music, you know? (laughs) So, and not to say that you do not go to school and study, but that's not where it stops. You have, when I was in school, I did so much more. I didn't just go to school and go to my class and then go home and then do it again. Right. I went, I got up early, practice, went to school, played with my friends in between classes, any chance I could get. Right. I was sitting on the floor, listening to other cats' lessons, steal, getting more. You know what I mean? <laughs> right, yeah. You're hungry for it. Right. If, if I wasn't in school, I'd be doing the same thing. Right. When you bring an artist in with your combo of people that you're playing with, how, how does that work? Like, yeah. you know, if you select a piece of music, are you guys reading music? How much of it is reading music and improvisation? And where is that, that yeah. balance? How does that work when you're playing with somebody maybe you've never played with before? Right. So I, I like to look at it as us learning. We, we've all learned musical stories or songs that we can all riff on. And there's a language within that that we can speak, um, just like how we do now where we take turns. If you agree with me, they can't see this, but you'll shake your head. We have good eye contact. Right. Things like that that happen on stage that makes the music flow. Right. Um, just like our conversation. So we take, for example, we all know Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. Sure. They're done. That's the form. Right. That's one time. And then you do it again. So what we're doing is we make up our own melody after we present the first melody. So I would take those, the harmony and the chord changes and I would make up my own melody or play off of the melody that was presented, which is what I really like to do, kind of embellish. Uh, the original melody. And then when you're done speaking, you just kind of look around and I'm, I'm done. You, you Pass can, the torch to somebody yeah, else, right? Yeah, you can wind up uh, your, your thought or phrase in a manner that even is very audible, like, oh, okay, he's almost done. <laughs> yeah, right. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, you know, like, right. hey, this guy's coming to the end of what he's saying, yep. right? Okay. Yep. So what do you think um, the future holds for Akron and jazz? And I guess, you know, how do places like Akron reach out and appeal to creative people to get them to come and live in these communities? Because we know it raises people's quality of life when you have arts and artists yeah. around. Um, but what can a city like Akron do to attract those people and maybe outside of, you know, you have the school here, mm-hmm. maybe, which attracts some people. 
But do you see that happening? And what more do you think needs to be done to kind of attract that talent and keep them here? I really see that question being answered with industry, but not the industry and how we look at like the music industry in Nashville and LA and New York and New Orleans. It has to be Akron's industry. And in order for that to happen, it has to be us leading it. Right. So we've all, we're all at this level playing field now since the pandemic. And I see us, you know, people have still been putting out very good material like to, tonight, um, other things that I've been a part of. And we're able to reach now folks all around the world. Just right. for Jazz Fest, we, we uh, reach more people than we ever have right. uh, this past year during a pandemic because we, we focused on online and went all around the world. Right. All those people around the world would have been tuning into other things or doing their own thing, but now they're like, Akron, Ohio. Wait, LeBron, LeBron isn't the only, <laughs> you know, is that, <laughs> no, there's well, other things to do here. There's really cool people too. Right. <laughs> you know? So that's where I see the future for us to get right. people to come in. I think we have to take advantage of our bounce back. You know, don't don't let this time go by and lose that opportunity, lose the opportunity. What a great pair of interviews. And it seems like the future of jazz in Akron is in great hands with the Tommy Lehman Quintet and people like Theron Brown and all the others that are making their home in Akron, Ohio and creating uh, this great art. I asked Theron about uh, the history of Akron jazz and some of the people they knew that influenced them. And he gave a great elegy to one of their friends named Jimmy Knoll. And um, Kevin Richards had asked uh, Tommy Lehman to write a song specifically about the history of Akron jazz. And he wrote a song about Jimmy Knoll. And I'm going to let the guys in the band introduce this last performance because they, they speak to it better than I ever can. So enjoy the intro and this great performance of a song that you're not going to hear anywhere else from the Tommy Lehman Quintet. But speak a little bit about the history uh, and maybe some of the people that were local legends here, um, he, he referenced a few, but tell me a little bit more about the people here that really made a name for themselves in Akron as Akronites. Yeah. Well, one of my favorites who we're actually going to, uh, I think Tommy wrote a song for him and his name is, uh, Jimmy Noel. We call him Mr. Noel. Okay. And right before he passed, we, we, a couple years ago, a few years ago, we were able to get him to play a gig with us. Yeah. And the Akron Life magazine did a really nice story on him and really celebrated him um, as an Akron legend. Right. And this cat could play, man. I mean, when we were on stage with him at Blue Jazz, it was me, Tommy, maybe Chris Cole, Zaire, and Jordan. Dan Wilson, I think, was on the gig. But, I mean, every note he played, it just it was different. It was seasoned. Right. You know, it was like, the pot at your grandma's house that you know she always fries everything in or cooks her steak in. <laughs> right, right. There's all there's all kinds yeah, of years good, of flavor. Yeah, in there, come like. on, man. <laughs> like when he as soon as he played, you hear the air and the breath, it's like, oh yeah, this is coming from a different place. Right. You know. So he's one that um I highly respect and to hear stories from him, you know, he didn't even talk much when we when we got together, but he when we played that's when you can feel it. It's like, oh, yeah, it lived here. It right. was strong. And he's 
speaking that to us right now. Right. He doesn't I have think, to say it with words. Yeah, man. <laughs> everybody felt it on stage. Like, I'm getting chills thinking about it now. But. Evan asked me to write a, a piece, kind of like a, a then and now reflection on, on Howard Street and where we are today. And so this is my reflection on that, and it's called Mr. No, and this is dedicated to Jimmy No, who we just lost this year, or this past year in 2020. So thank you so much for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy.
Rest in peace, rest in power, Jimmy Noel. Thank you so much. Thank you, man. What an epic episode of the Roots of American Music podcast. I learned a whole bunch. I hope you did, too. I enjoyed talking to both Joe Mossbrook and Theron Brown, and we heard a lot of great music also. So visit that Facebook page, Roots of American Music. Give us a like. If you feel like donating to Roots of American Music, you can also visit www.rootsofamericanmusic.org and uh, find the donation button on that page. I'd like to thank a whole bunch of people for this particular episode. I want to thank the Knight Foundation. I'd like to thank the GAR Foundation. I'd like to thank Roots of American Music, uh, Jason Myers, Executive Director, and Kevin Richards, Artistic Director. I'd like to thank the crew at Akron Recording Company for live streaming and recording these performances. I'd like to thank Mike Fanos and Dave Polster with production assistance. It takes a whole team of people to make this happen, so um, I'm thankful for that. So stay tuned for the next episode. It looks like uh, that's going to come out around uh, St. Patrick's Day. So imagine what themes we could talk about uh, in Akron, Ohio, revolving around St. Patrick's Day and the celebratory actions that uh, ensue during that time of the year. So until then, take it easy. We'll see you soon. Bye. Hi, this is comedian and writer, and let's be honest, I do a lot of things. This is Dean Archipotus, the host of Whiskey Business, the podcast not so much about whiskey as it is one with whiskey. Yes, we drink and talk about whiskey, but we do so much more with so many interesting people. For example, we talk to comedians like Greg Warren. You know, I don't want to brag, but let's just say I can walk into a Red Lobster and get 
whatever. You know, I think the pause right there is probably more important than the word. Amazing athletes like boxing champion Buster Douglas. When a fighter's down and he's looking for his mouthpiece instead of trying to get up. That's when I knew it was over. Yeah, yeah. right? And, yes, Bigfoot chasers. Do you believe in Bigfoot? And if so, does he really eat beef jerky? <laughs> the Bigfoot thing is people have seen these, and, and I've seen a lot of compelling evidence about it. It's Whiskey Business with Dino Tripodis. Join us for what we call a good conversation with a good pour. You really can't ask for much more than that, can you, people? Check us out at whiskeybusinesspod.com, a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network.